listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. We're coming in hot this morning. I'm on real time. I think you fixed world's problems with your computer recently. How many seconds in does it say it is? 22. 23. 24. Yes! Oh my goodness. Tell them what was going on. We've talked about it before on here. Every time Kirk presses record, there's a countdown, not a countdown, there's a timer that records how long the session is so you can keep track of it. But mine starts at a negative number and it had been getting worse. I was like negative 440 roughly into a countdown to zero and then it would go. And so we'd be in the episode and I'd, I'd still be talking and Kirk would be trying to wrap it up. And I'd always forget the fact that I was almost five minutes behind Kirk. So if we were trying to get it done in an hour at 55, he'd start wrapping up. And at on my clock, it's only 50. I'm like, we got 10 minutes. We're good. And today it's even, we have the same counter going, which is going to probably throw us off just as badly. <laughs> you had some weird internal problem with your computer, not syncing to the real time. It was always off a few minutes. And that clearly has fixed it. Mm -hmm. You're such a genius. I just finished telling Kirk I fixed my computer clock. I have two issues with this computer. This is my first attempt at building a computer. I had help from Matt Duhan and some other people that are intelligent. Uh, my first attempt at building a computer, everything's fine except the clock was always off. And my headphone jack, if I switch sources, I have to restart my computer in, in order for it to recognize it like half the time. Those are the only two issues I've come upon, and I fixed one of them today, and I was bragging to him about it, and then as soon as he pressed record, I realized that that's why our computer, or our, our countdown was not syncing. That's what you get for hack job in your own computer. You like to hack job everything. You like to trial by fire yourself, I I've really noticed. do. With everything, you like to do it yourself first, and if you can't make it work that way, then maybe you'd outsource, but you like your hands on things. I'm cheap, and I'm way too confident that I can figure it out. I'm too confident in my own abilities, and so I always think I can do this myself for less. Well, you figured it out. Speaking of uh, hack jobs or hiring out or doing it yourself, um, we're recording earlier than normal. It's a Monday morning. Uh, we're still in the wee hours, it looks like. Um, but I have my bathroom demo going on today, and my bathroom sits right across the hallway from my recording room, and my contractor's in there now banging away. Uh, folks. So if you start hearing random noises, it might just be what it is today. He told me he would hold off on the jackhammering for another, we got 48 minutes before the concrete gets jackhammered. So we got a tight window today, but we're making it work. So usually it's bracken with the sirens, the noise, the scum of City Hall, but today it's going to be the scum of Kirk DeWitt's bathroom. Scum? Yeah. It's the salt of the earth. <laughs> sirens aren't salt of the earth, Bracken. I hate to break it to you. Well, the people responding are. That's a good point. That's a good point. Should we dive right into it today? Well, you go, man. I uh, We just, uh, you know, this is sort of, uh, again, like last uh, Friday, uh, your, your brainchild, you wanted to chat these things out today. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time this weekend putting cl not quite the finishing touches, but the pre-finishing touches on our night school course, yep. which is 
getting close to ready to launch. And so I was just looking at a lot of workouts, a lot of information. And again, just like last time with the pros and cons trends that popped out at me, and I wanted to talk about that, I kept seeing a lot of the same workouts popping out at me. And I thought, you know what, we've talked about our favorite workouts, we've talked about effective workouts, but what are our most prescribed workouts of 2023 for our athletes? What are we returning to over and over again? Because with the people we coach, we do fully personalized coaching. I don't know if you and I have ever talked about our personal coaching. We talk about the training peaks version a lot, our Netflix style for the community. Anyone can sign up. They all get the same workouts and they self-personalize. With our one-on-one coaching, I don't even use training peaks and you don't either. And part of it's for a customization um, purpose, but the other part is that it's a guardrail for us to not copy paste, just give people cookie cutter workouts. On, net, on Training Peaks, it's too easy to just slide in things that already work. So we build our own from scratch for each person, partially so that we ensure that it is built from scratch for each individual athlete. But that doesn't change the fact that the premise, like the nuts and bolts, the outline of the main quality sessions are going to be the same. Yep. Like whether you're a 25 minute 5k runner or a 12 minute 5k runner running three to five by mile is going to happen at some point in your training season. Yep. It doesn't make it not personalized. So anyway, these trends keep popping up. We have a lot of the same workouts that get prescribed because we find ourselves just seeing the benefit of that particular workout. So today I want to, I want to list off the, our most prescribed, who's in your five? Yeah. Your five most prescribed this year. I like it. What what that used to be a MySpace thing? Your top five friends, your five favorites, your cell phone, mobile, the cell phone thing. Yeah, but there used to be in in MySpace. I was never on MySpace. I'm a little older than you. That's all I had an option to. Uh, uh, you could put like your top friends on your home screen, so it, it would like hurt feelings if like one you didn't put one of your friends in there. It was like a thing, but we don't need to get into that. I'm going back to MySpace for this. That's one. dating ourselves now. Yeah. Uh, you you could put a, a song, like when you pulled up your profile, you could put a song that played when somebody looked at it. So like I put, I remember I had Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangsta on there for like years. I just felt real badass if somebody clicked on my good. profile. And By I, a ghetto boy. Yeah, and that played. I always felt good about that. Good for you. Anyways, and also to... T- to talk uh, to follow up what you said about customization <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm jumping in <laughs> does the wayback machine is there some sort of archive of kirk dewin's myspace page i'm gonna have to talk to jack bauer i want to see if i can still see I hope not what would that have been like 2004 kirk dewin i probably rolled with it through 2007 and then i was able to get facebook then and then i think i switched over but i hope it's not I'm, oh i need to try to find this the internet needs to know. No, it does not need to know. It's that's that's talk about scum that you would find it there. That I can agree with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's let's get into it today on our limited window bracket and quit distracting. <laughs> let's get into. I, it. I was following you up with um uh, about customization uh and just to piggyback something you said about like yes the same workouts are going to be staples no matter the athlete at times because we believe they work mm-hmm. the customization happens is more as to when that workout is prescribed for you based on your goals and races versus the workout itself. A lot of times it's like, let's say we have a bank of 20 quality sessions that we really rely on. 
Well, really, the magic, of course, is in the sessions themselves, but just as much of the magic is when should they be added in as stimulus based on what you have coming up. That's where the puzzle pieces fall, I think, more importantly. We're not going to get into that today, but I just wanted to add that that fact in. Because what we're going to talk about, I mean, some of these workouts are going to they're mm-hmm. going to have heard before, and some of our athletes are going to be like, yep, I've done that one, of course. So it's just it's where that workout's placed is, mm-hmm. is equally as important or more. Okay, so what I'm going to start with here is the single most commonly prescribed, and these are going to be quality sessions, obviously easy days and recovery days and like aerobic runs would be my most prescribed workout session. But my single most prescribed quality session is probably going to be the least sexy, least inspiring, probably most surprising to you until we actually think about it. But it's easy long run with optional cut down. Yeah. I mean, if you're on the running public training plan, you see that every other week. Of course. Almost every other week. At worst, every three weeks. Yeah. But it's a staple. It's one of those that you put in for time on feet, and it's like a placeholder in between quality long sessions. Easy long run. We're getting 90 minutes to up to three hours, three and a half for my ultra runners, and the optional cut down exists there for the people who get to that point in the week still feeling the need to rip. And so sometime in the second half of that of that run, the, the cut down begins. But it's not my most loved. It's not my most like intentional for fitness specific building at any point in the year. But it's my single most occurring quality long run or quality session because it can be put in anywhere. And it doesn't disrupt the flow of any training block. So it appears in every single training block training block for many athletes yeah when do you know if you should uh you should cut it down or not like how do you know like with optional cut down right like so basically what bracken's outlining Mm -hmm. is you start your long run let's say you have two hours on the docket for the day and you start by running easy conversational pace work into it feel your body out and then it comes a point where you're like yeah i'm just slogging through today and like i'm just going to continue to slog because i have fatigue built up from the week and that's obviously in my legs today or, you know, best case scenarios, you get partially through your long run. And you're like, yeah, I'm still like, I'm enjoying myself, and I kind of want to, kind of want to sink my teeth into this effort. And then you progress through finish, and probably spend some time in threshold. But how do you, how do you know? Because I think you know the the hundreds of people on our running public training plan like probably want to know as well. Like, how do I know if I should optional cut yeah. down or not? It's probably the least amount of input I have into any quality session because I have no input into it. I give the guidelines prior like the markers to look for. If you feel like crap, don't do it. Right, right. If you're enjoying running easy, go run easy because we have enough quality in the block to account for not cutting down today. So if you cut down today, it's a bonus. It's not a, there's nothing that says you're better doing this than if you don't. We're already going to be fine. It's just if you have the really the the body that wants to or the mind that wants to. And so it's it's kind of for me when I do it, the decision is made for me some point in the run. Suddenly I'm just realizing I'm going to be cutting down today mm-hmm. because it's intriguing, it's exciting, it's invigorating. The thought of running a little quicker is good. and Or sometimes it happens unintentionally. Like you'll get to a slight descent and you find yourself ripping it a little more than you thought and you get to the bottom and you're like, I, I'm just going to keep it rolling for a little bit. It's it's most of the time not a conscious decision prior to the workout beginning. You just get to a point and your body opens that door for you and you decide 
think I'm going to step through. Yep. And I should say caveat to this is that this workout almost never occurs to me in my pre-competition phase. Like this is base building. This is stage one or two of a build. But as soon as we get to races in sight, everything's so specific that we're doing that this does go out the window. If there's an easy long run, it's just an easy long run because we're cooking it so hard on the other workouts that this does leave the plan at that point. You're not seeing this generally in your last six weeks leading up to a race. Usually. That's what I was going to piggyback uh, what you just said with, and you stole it from me. Look at us. So, well, the thing is about the the easy long run with optional cut down is it's actually, it can be very fitness building. Um, and it also can end up being damaging. Mm-hmm. If you end up on a two-hour, three-hour long run, and then you end up really feeling yourself and that's okay to feel yourself sometimes and you go crank for the last hour of a three-hour long run cutting down like that effort's going to sit in your legs for a while it's going to make you better don't get me wrong but it's going to take some time to recover from and it's also going to take away from probably your next quality session just a little because you'll still have some damage in there um and so when that happens or you're getting close to races it's just it's like risk versus reward it's just not quite worth like cooking a little extra too hot on a day when you need to be ready to hit the most purposeful workouts, let's say midweek, uh, where you're really looking at metrics. And so that's why I think it should go is mostly cause I've done optional long run, long runs with optional cut downs. And when I'm really feeling good, like you can really, that can turn into like a big quality oh, yeah. session. And so that's why you stay away from it close to competition days, because it's not what the body should be doing when other sessions are more important. Yeah. I mean, case in point, my PR on the Lakeshore path, which is my long run time trial course came on a a cut down run yeah i ran easy for nine it's a 21 mile run i ran easy for nine and then there's a slight downhill and i got to the bottom thinking i felt better picking it up on that downhill than i did running slow easy right so then the next three miles i'm like i'm just gonna pick it up for three miles and i can settle back in and i picked it up for three miles and lisa called me in the middle of it and i had because it's a long run i had my phone with me yep and so I had headphones in and I answered it and found myself rolling while we were talking. And she got off the phone and I'm like, well, I'm only seven miles from the finish and I'm running well. Let's see what we can do. Yep. So it was unplanned and it got into it. And then by the end, I was smashed. Well, you know, I did long runs with optional cut downs the week out from big races before. This is years past, like when I first found OCRs. Mm-hmm. And I tended, I realized like I started showing up to race day like, not feeling very good. Like I hit a big, I didn't realize how damaging it was a week out. Then I'd hit another quality session Tuesday and between like a quality long run with optional cut down and then a Tuesday quality session. And then I go show up and race on Saturday at a U.S. national series race. My first year doing that, I fell flat on my face for the first two felt terrible. And I think it was just like, I'm, I'm speaking to the power of the optional long run with the cut down is what I'm actually trying to do saying, yes, yeah. it's very effective, but it's also can be damaging. Um, we should probably move on though for, for sure. sake of time, huh? Yeah. I'll hop in. Give me something good. Well, I'm going to lump these two together. Something sexier. This isn't sexier. And that see, I think that's going to be the theme today. It's not, they're not terribly sexy. Right. Um, hear a little hammering going on. Can you hear that? No, I can't, but we'll see if I hear it in post-production. All right. Um, and so, most of my athletes are going to recognize this and it's a very good gauge of fitness and it's a good one to come back to. Uh, and so it's the tighten the screws tempo. It's, it's a progression run and I prescribe it mm-hmm. on flat ground and I prescribe it at 15%. And it basically is, is assigned for me to get a gauge on where the athlete is at. Like when do they need to tap out? So, um, 
typically I'll have you start, like you head out the door and you start running and maybe you start a little, like you start at recovery effort. You look at your first mile and from there you just cut down like 10 to 15 seconds a mile, cut down, cut down, cut down until you feel like you're racing to reach effort and you pull the plug. It could be a four mile workout. If you're not terribly conditioned, it could be a 14 mile workout if you're really conditioned. And for me, I, it always helps me find sort of like, okay, what are we working with? It helps me dial, get dialed in and threshold. And I learn a lot about an athlete when I do the tighten the screws tempo, I just see where, where they tap, how good are they at knowing their body? And then you can re-prescribe that down the road and you can see monitor improvement. So on flat terrain, head out the door, start running, see your first mile. And from there, that's your starting point. And you just aim to just tick it off, tick it off, tick it off. And it's a big session because I want you reaching for pace quite a bit until it feels like you're tipping. And then on the ink and then on the treadmill, mm -hmm. I'll take a guess at the athlete's fitness based on, um, you know, questionnaire and things. And it's like, Hey, start at 3.0 miles an hour on the treadmill at 15% every five minutes, bump it up by 0.1 and go till you crack. And so that helps me get dialed in mm. super quickly with athletes. And I'll typically prescribe that right out of the gates. And I'm sure people listening are nodding their heads, but I've been prescribing that a ton lately. And as a coach, I feel like it's getting me really dialed really quick as far as expectation. And so those two have been prescribed a ton lately. I like that. Simple. Those are workouts that we, you get a lot of questions about from athletes prior about how exactly should I execute. The treadmill one's much simpler. Where I start is always the question, but then from there, protocol's easy, but that tightening the screws, anything outside where your your governor is your mind, kind of, for the beginning of it, mm -hmm. is always, uh, you get a lot of questions on how to execute it, but it's one of those that you take your first step of the quality portion of the workout, and you pretty much know within a minute how you're going to execute this workout. Yeah. I'd say most errors happen. People start too fast. Like they know it's a quality day and they leave their house mm -hmm. and they start a little too quick and then they're trapped early, Right. you know? And then it's like, well, I've, I'm working a little harder than I should at mile one, but I only have to cut down. And then they end up only being able to cut down for three or four, three miles and they get trapped. But we learned something there too, right? So it's just a good litmus test. That's it. Okay. Ready for an analogy for cut downs, Kirk? I really am. I guess. When I was like four or five, I got $67 for Christmas and we went to the mall and I spent like 45 in the first store and my sister held on to her money and we went store to store after that point. And by the end of it, we were both broke. We had just, it was burning a hole in our pockets all Christmas break and we went and spent it. But I spent the last five or six stores having to spend less and less in each store and it was not fun and I left feeling like I'd made a big mistake. And she got further to the end and started throwing money at stores and having a blast because she had money left and there's only so many stores left. And that's how I look at cut downs and tightening the screws type workouts. Either way, you get to the end and you spent all your money. But if you throw most of your money at the first few minutes or miles of your progression at the end, you're, you're just spending pennies. Like I have 10 cents I can spend on this mile and that is it. But getting to the end with 20 bucks left is a lot of fun because then like what we had with our last workout, I left and you dropped what? Six, six, 10 or six twenty, and then five fifty five, And that was awesome. Mm -hmm. But had we started with five fifty five, it would have felt so much different at the end. 100%. So it's like spending money where it's always fun to have the sum left to splurge at the end rather than to splurge early and then just be like, trying to stay out of debt towards the end yeah that's a good analogy it's just it's you, you don't want to trap yourself and be left with no options to buy and 
that's really that's yeah. really it. Yeah. But I'll prescribe that work. And I do it myself sometimes too. Like on long runs, I turn that into an actual quality day where I'm just tightening the screws until I feel like I'm reaching for pace, which is very similar to the optional cut down, except when I prescribe it for mm -hmm. myself, it's not optional. Like that is the plan, obviously. And you end up spending the majority of that in threshold. You tip over into like VO2 max type stuff at the end. Like if you're re if, if you're really reaching and like you kind of check a lot of boxes. So it's just a very, very well, a very efficient workout. We'll call it for stay power in particular. But what's the next one you got? Uh, I'm going to stick. I guess we're going to move down the 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 spectrum of sexiness. So I'm sticking to the not sexy and this isn't a test workout for me, but this does, it builds fitness, but it also does show where weaknesses lie. And so this is a three, some version of this It's not the same for everyone, but the, the core version of this is a three minute, five minute, seven minute, six week progression of workouts. And so week one, three minute intervals with short rest talking 45 to 60 seconds. Week two, is three-minute intervals with the same amount of rest done uphill at between 10 and 15% incline. Then week three, we go to five-minute flat, and then week four, five-minute incline, and then seven-minute flat, week five, and week six is seven-minute incline. Now, the minutes are different for each person, but that's the standard three, five, seven progression, and it shows kind of everything to me. It shows how well you can regulate your pace. It shows what the discrepancy is between your flat ground running ability and your uphill running ability. And it shows where does your speed extension kind of struggle. If you can get through the three minutes and you struggle a bit with the five and a lot with the seven, because they're all done at roughly the same pace, but your, your rest increases slightly throughout this or it stays the same the whole time. It doesn't change. Like it doesn't change in your favor ever. Uh, then most likely Staying power is your problem. If you struggled week one in the three-minute intervals and by five and seven, you're just feeling better and better, you're probably a aerobic monster. So it, it's just, a, it puts in perspective where your skill set lies and shows you what you're going to need to spend a lot more time on. But doing three, five, and seven-minute intervals is just like threshold interval heaven and especially alternating doing them uphill. That's one that I've found prescribing to a lot of different people in a lot of different styles of training. Some people were doing high rocks builds. Some people were doing a half marathon build. Some people were building towards a West Virginia Spartan race. Some people were moving towards a marathon, but they all, I found a reason for why three, five, seven progression or two, four, six, or three, four, five, or five, six, anything like that. Those mid to starting to get longer interval sessions with short rest, why that was important for all of them. Yeah. I, uh, I mentioned, we did an episode where we talked, I don't know how we got into it, if it was a workout episode or I brought it up randomly, but three, one, five, two, seven, three, I prescribe like historically three minutes on one minute off, yeah. five minutes on two minutes off or seven minutes on three minutes off. Um, they just seem to work very well. And if you keep your off purposeful, especially with the five, two or the seven, three, then you're just basically in threshold the entire time, keeping a purposeful recovery pace. And it's just like, I mean... Most of these are basically, I mean, everything we've talked about is some sort of threshold or threshold intervals, really. So I think you know, so far, yeah. writing's on the wall. It's where our mind first goes. Those are the ones that move the needle the most. What do you think about, so 357, let's talk, because I prescribe, I actually prescribe in one workout a 753, let people cut down and see if they're mm -hmm. able to or not. You know, two rounds at seven minutes, maybe three rounds at five or two, and then two to four rounds at three. During a long run, I like to prescribe that one. Um, what do you think about, um, 
like let's say you had a a race in four to six weeks would you do the opposite would you go mm-hmm. seven five three or would you always stick to three five that progression going from three to five to seven or do you believe there's power in cutting down to faster pacing if let's say something was on the near horizon would you do the opposite is what i'm asking or would you not i don't do the opposite with clean running very often what i will do is go three five seven three and the week before the race, return back to the three and feel all the fitness you've built compared to the first time you mm, did it. Like but I do like reversing it if it's compromised running leading to an event. Because early on, it's not the last five minutes of the seven-minute rep. It's the first two minutes that are difficult from a compromised running standpoint. Let's say you're doing weighted jump lunges or something like that for 30 seconds, and you do a seven-minute rep after. That's a much easier work than doing workout than doing a three-minute rep after. Because you have to do more rounds of that, and so you're doing more compromised running. And the vast majority of your three-minute rep is compromised versus the seven-minute. The first two minutes are compromised, and then you're just back to running normally for most people. So I will cut down the duration of the interval, but keep the compromiser the same leading to a, a workout off uh, to a race oftentimes. Same. It's like starting like a solid OCR block with like the Hobie tempo where you take no rest. You run for five minutes, do strength work. And then towards the end, you do shorter duration mm-hmm. with some rest to practice transitioning more often and things like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I like that. I was going to end up throwing in the, uh, uh, the, the three, one, five, two, and seven, three is one workout, but you covered that base. So nicely done. There we are. Mm-hmm. Um, is it my turn? Yep. Tell you. Should we talk a little flash? Well, let's well let's flash a little. I'll hold off. Um unless you want to do some hill work. <laughs> is that it could be flashy depending. Um not taking full credit for this uh whatsoever, but I've been prescribing float style workouts uh for the last year, basically. Um mm-hmm. throughout. And I'm prescribing two workouts in particular which are which very much mirror each other. And it's it's a half mile on, quarter mile float. Or it is three minutes on, two minutes float. And that one directly is taken from Tyler German. But half mile on, quarter mile float is very similar ratio-wise to a three-minute on, two-minute float. And so, again, for any of you who are, uh, it's a threshold workout, but um, any of you who are not familiar with the float style workout, basically, it's a pres- it's more of a prescribed pacing or effort, at least, while you are in your recovery portion of the, the workout. So you're not fully, like, resting, walking, or slow jogging. You're like, okay, I'm going to run hard at, let's say, five-minute pace, and then I'm going to float at 5.30 pace or 5.45, and you just go in and out, back and forth between really pressing and then just backing off a little bit. Really pressing, just backing off. And you just make this nice sort of wave-like heart rate graph, and it's beautiful, and it's threshold, and it's really, you can't fake it if it's done right. It's going to be very telling of where your fitness is at. And so half mile on, quarter mile float, and the three, two float. Um, I'm, I'm using it regularly. I just have stole it. I've used it myself. I love it. I love how it makes me feel. I love what it does for my stay power. I do feel like I can turn over in it still. And, um, athletes seem to respond well. And it's another indicator workout, you know, like sometimes it's tough to know what an athlete needs or what, where their fitness is at, I guess, really like when you, especially when you start working with somebody as a coach, you're like trying to figure them out. Right. And you're trying to figure out like, where's this person really at set realistic expectations. You you're going to find out in a progression run and in a float workout, if you blow up, obviously I've overprescribed as a coach then, and we need to readjust or, you know, you're going to find out a tipping point, uh, 
often as well. So mm-hmm. it's just a good litmus test, uh, again, the, the float style. But have you been playing with that at all? I played with it when I was rehabbing a little bit off my... Or not rehabbing, but returning to running, coming off of my quad issue. And I liked it. And then I had so many specific things come up where I was trying to do something specific for a potential race that I got away from it. Mm. So I... And I... I don't believe, and I've talked about this on here before, I don't think that to be a coach you had to have been an athlete. Especially I don't believe you had to have been a good athlete. I think oftentimes the more successful you are as an athlete, the more uh, you are closed off to certain coaching mindsets or strategies because it didn't work for me or it worked for me and that's it. That's all I think about. But here's one of those situations where I think it is useful to be a coach because with yours, you found a new workout style and you were able to go out and feel it right away. So could you have just turned around and applied it to someone based on the knowledge Tyler gave you? Yes. But then you're not sure how you're applying it, if it's 100% correct or not. And you have to wait on the athlete feedback cycle to start dialing in how you do and don't use it. Whereas when you can use it on yourself, even if it's not designed specifically for you, you can feel that. And then it gives you an idea of, all right, when I feel this, when I hear this feedback from an athlete, I remember what that felt like, and this would be the next logical progression. Now, a coach who's not running could do that same thing, but I think the feedback loop is longer. Yep. And so I, my rule of thumb for me is I almost never prescribe a workout or a workout progression that I haven't tried myself. And so because I haven't done enough float-style workouts, I would say I've probably given out a total of like five or six this year. Mm. And even then it was either simple float style of stuff I've done in the past that wasn't kind of what we had talked about or just the exact workout progression I had, I had done this spring. Which I think is, uh, I don't know, I think that's a testament to, uh, I don't know, one, practicing what you preach and two, knowing what you're prescribing by experiencing it yourself. And I didn't prescribe them until I started hitting them myself and being like, yep, right. I can feel it for sure. But I think that's that's probably the right way to do it. I, I mean, we have used our athletes as guinea pigs, and I will continue to do so. I make up new workouts where I'm like, let's see how this goes. It makes sense in my head, and let's find out. But I think they're more powerful when you know you know what they're getting because you've experienced it. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and part of it is how does it hit you? Like you can look on paper and see 30 to 40 minutes of threshold work is 30 to 40 minutes of threshold work. I can prescribe the correct number of reps without ever having done this workout because I can see based on the body systems how long we should spend working on this. Mm -hmm. But what I can't feel is how does this style of workout impact my next four days compared to a different style of workout unless I've actually felt that. And that's that feedback loop I'm talking about. Like You can dial up a progression of workouts and give it to an athlete, but if there's a slightly different stimulus in it, they may not be able to hit the next couple of weeks correctly in all the quality days if the recovery cycle is a little bit off. And by the time you're hearing back from them, they may have lost three to five weeks of training. And now you have to adjust it and try to get on someone else. So the feedback loop's just a little tighter if you do try the workouts yourself. I don't think you have to be any good at them. You just have to feel how much does this trash me or this workout trashes me the same as this workout, but it also leaves my calves really sore. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know that if you hadn't done it. And then you just can't program something for two days later that needs your calves to be feeling good for it. So just those little things. That's why I think it's important that running coaches try running. Yeah. They don't have to be any good at it, but I think it's useful to still run whenever you can. Yeah. The only, the, the one thing about the float style that I have learned this last year from athletes is it does, it typically doesn't leave the athlete feeling apathetic when somebody does a float workout 
they leave feeling one of two ways typically. And it is, I just PR'd my 10 K in the middle of a workout and I wasn't expecting that. And it builds huge confidence. I get that <laughs> every three times an athlete does it. They'll be like, I just PR'd my 5 K in the middle of this float workout. Like obviously my fitness is great and you can't fake that. Right. On the other end, what can happen is they completely blow up and they feel like an utter failure at the end of it, but I don't find much in between. So the float workout's risky <laughs> because it sneaks. It'll prove to you that you're, if you're fit, it'll prove to you that. And you might even accidentally personal best some stuff in the middle of a workout because it forces you to stay on it. On the other hand, uh, when it goes bad, it goes bad and it's, it's over. It's pretty much over. If you can't keep your float intention, it's done. And so <laughs> there's not much middle ground with it. And I've had people feel both ways afterwards so like you got to be careful with that okay. one but if i see an athlete pr in the middle of a workout uh it's always in a float style workout like almost always on accident pr that makes sense your turn oh my turn okay so this is again going to be a very broad spectrum but i've prescribed a lot of split tempos this year so we did an episode where we covered this but the concept is you take a normal workout that's like 30 to 60 minutes long and you divide it into thirds or halves i like using thirds so an example would be instead of a let's say a 30 minute tempo run you do a 10 minute tempo run flat 10 minutes of hill reps and then 10 more tempo minutes out of it. And usually you can get more of it. So it might be like 12, 12, 12 or 15, 10, 15, or you can even do 20, 20, 10 or something like that. I've been prescribing that a lot and I've been using it a lot with hybrid racers. So an example that a couple people are doing a version of is a short tempo coming in like a two to three K tempo deck a strong at like 70 to 80 percent effort and then another one to three k tempo out so that you're really hitting compromise running but you're also working the systems we want to be working so that style of work i've done that with deca and then vice versa it could be uh let's say the first three stations of high rocks and then a 5k tempo and then hit those three stations again but that's i've been using it for hybrid work more than I would have expected at this point last year. I love that. No, it's funny is I, I mean, I prescribe split tempo or broken tempos all the time to my runners. I have not translated that to hybrid. And now I'm like, why? I'm, it's just as you're saying that I'm like, why have I not transferred that to hybrid? I have not. My athletes know I have never done a split tempo in hybrid. I really like that idea. I hadn't at this point last year. Hmm. I'm going to start thinking about that. And you know what changed it for me? Huh? When I was rebuilding again, after being injured, where I couldn't handle full big workouts. So I was doing a bit of it, and then I'd row for a while, and then I could run again afterwards. Hmm. Like I was doing three by thousand, then I'd hit a 2K row, and then three by thousand, I could run another, maybe one or two by thousand instead of three. And then it got me thinking, this is really compromised, but it's also like, it's given me more time I can work at. And then I started just subbing in some hybrid stuff and realize, oh, this pairs very well together. Even though on at first glance, you wouldn't think these are meant for each other. They actually play very well together. For sure. I, I'm just going to say it right now. I think in the future, some people are going to see this. I'm going to start putting some things together. It just never dawned on me to, to do it in that regard, but I love it. Good job, Bracken. Oh, thank you. I <sighs> got the warm fuzzies here this morning. This is a workout people dread on paper, and then it goes better than they expect. Because you dread it, you respect it, you don't overcook it. Mm. And I actually just had an athlete question on this this morning. I woke up to a message and it said, why are we working not 
I'm running faster than I'll actually end up running in a race mm-hmm. and for some of this hybrid, but I'm working on the station slower than I'll work in a race. Cause you we were doing this 80% effort cap mm-hmm. this eight out of 10 cap. Why are we doing this? And the concept was you can tempo a station just like you can tempo a run and you get the same benefits because we're working systems here. And then you're actually getting smoother with cadence. And when you're not trying to thrash, you can realize ways to be smoother and more efficient, but it also forces you not to overcook. And one of the biggest things people do in, in hybrid racing is they start out so hard and finish so slow that by simply starting out slower, you finish faster. Yep. So you get to work on skill and engine at the same time. And it's just a, it's a beautiful pairing. I love it. Yeah. And depending on what the athlete needs to focus on too, it's like you could play with that style a good bit. Like you could, you could start and end with clean running and have the hybrid work in the middle, or you could start with hybrid, Mm -hmm. do the tempo in the middle and then finish depending on where the athlete's strength or weaknesses lie, which I like. You could even get cute and you could even break it up into instead of three parts, five parts. You could even, I mean, you could get as cute with it as you want, depending, but I like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I had a athlete. I want to say it was Dory Kirshner went like Flory Dory Deca strong at 80% Flory Dory, then 5k tempo, then Deca strong at 80%. Love it. Tempo in the middle, two full strongs on either side, but not all out. Okay. Should I, should I grab a new one here? Another one? Yeah, I think, was that our fourth? Yeah, yes, I think that was our fourth. Are we limiting to five each? Time-wise, we can we can do five total, our five most cumulative. Okay. Well, easy long run with optional cut down. We had float style, we had split tempo, and then we had the three five seven. Yeah. some version of that. Did I miss one in no, there? I don't think so. All right, this, this can be our fifth. I'm debating between two right now. But I mean, do we ever limit ourselves? Say them both. But today we have, well, they're very different ones, but today we have to because we got about 11 minutes before the jackhammering starts. Uh, I'm just going to say another one that is a workout that looks so simple on paper. And I don't know why, but athletes should, I fear and dread, I'm going to, yeah, I fear, look forward to and dread the most out of all workouts I do myself out of workouts I prescribe, it's like a, but in like a good way, this isn't a negative relationship. It's a very good thing. And it's, it's five to six by a mile with three minutes rest, which if you're running, I'm running around five minutes a mile, probably give or take. Right. And I'm getting three minutes rest, which is a lot. And by rest, it's walk recovery. It's true recovery. We're starting to sharpen the end of our sword here. We're starting to Really let ourselves run hard, fast. My heart rate spikes higher than most any other workout. And my goal is metrics. I want to find out where I'm at. And you just can't fake mile repeats and giving yourself enough rest. I prescribe them with one minute sometimes in, other, in a shorter rest for people. Or a mile on, quarter mile off, which is a whole different workout in itself. But with the three minutes rest, the emphasis is on how fast am I actually running these these mile repeats like mm-hmm. speed matters. I don't even care about systems here. I want to know, like if you can average five flat for five by a mile, this tells me that you can probably race your 5k at that or faster, or you can add 15 seconds per mile and race your 10k there. It's a very good predictor workout. And it also just gets you, it feels, I feel like I have to race it towards the end to hit numbers I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it just, it's a fitness level upper. It just is. I take a lot of damage from it. It takes me a long time to recover, 
But like two weeks later, I'm like, yep, that did something for me. So mile repeats, three minutes rest, uh, which is a lot of rest for mile repeats. But it's just one of those that makes you feel the sting of a race. That's how I feel towards the back half of mile repeats with a lot of rest. I feel like I'm almost like getting my mind ready to race and the body as well. And so I prescribe that one. It will, it will be for the till the end of time. That one will be filtered throughout plans depending <laughs> on where people are at. So I'm not changing the world here with that workout, but it's so powerful. No, there's a reason it's been done for 100 years and it'll be done for another 100. You just can't fake it. And I've said this, a version of this before on here, but there are things that tell you their indicators of where someone is in their running or coaching progression. I think you can watch someone warm up before a race and you can get a level of, uh, of semblance of how good they are or how much time have they spent in this sport. And I think uh, one of the indicators of how seasoned are you as a coach or an athlete is immediately when you hear about a workout, the first question or the second question is, what's the rest? Because eventually you realize that the rest is everything Mm -hmm. by you know the first couple years of college coach would post the week's workouts and we'd jog over there and look at the bulletin board and we'd be looking at what are the reps and by junior senior year the freshmen are doing that and we're off to the side looking down oh no we have three to five minute rest on these reps because you know 100 percent the moment the rest gets longer than like 60 to 90 seconds these reps are now intended to be bad. They're supposed to hurt. You show me 30 to 60 second rest and I'm like, all right, okay. We're not supposed to be working too hard because we got to be able to do it again. The workout will get tough in its volume, but it's not going to be nasty. It'll be a grind. You show me three plus minute rest and my stomach churns because 100%. I know how lactic this is about to get. Dude, that's exactly it. I The short rest workouts, you can kind of ease yourself into it. You're managing effort and exertion mentally and physically early so that you can endure. Mm -hmm. But when you have a lot of rest, people look at it the wrong way. They're like, oh, I get three minutes rest. What a treat. Like this is going to be easy. Well, with the three minutes rest, it also means like when you push the gas pedal down, you're flooring it. So be prepared to hurt a little more than you typically would. And so you're exactly right. And I just think that's a, that gets you race ready, which threshold work will be king, right? We want to keep doing that. But like the sting of the race is what catches athletes off guard if they haven't raced recently. And mile repeats with a lot of rest does that for me. Yeah, coaches never think, you know what I'd like to make them feel really good about today is giving them more rest. That's that's not, in the middle of the season, that's not what they're thinking. They are misers with rest. Yep. And so if they ever give you a chunk of rest that looks enticing, you know that there is a... Like that's the carrot, but there's also a stick waiting here. If you could, there is a downside to seeing that rest. Yep. They are not trying to make you feel better. They are trying to give you the bare minimum possible to recover from what you just did. And if you see a big number, what you just did is going to be a serious effort. I'm really glad you outlined all that. I, I simple as this: if you see high rest, think high expectations. If you see low rest. Yeah. And I wouldn't say low expectations, but just know that the pressure isn't on as much. High rest, high expectations, low rest, lower expectations. You're going to need every second of that rest. Yes, you are. <laughs> the worst was in college, we'd see we'd see full recovery. Oh. It would say it wouldn't say effort on things. It would be like 1000 meter run, full recovery, 8 by 400 3 minute recovery. Full recovery meant we were time trialing a thousand. Yep. <laughs> Anytime you saw full recovery, you thought, oh, I got to go grab my spikes. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, I feel good about that being my last one. So uh, what about you? What's your last, what's the last one you want to go out with? 
my most common last workout before the race. Yeah. And it almost even split between people who wanted one last compromised dose and people who didn't. So people either chose OCR 400s or 200s with short short rounds, long rest is their last one. That was for, for OCR, obviously. But the most common last workout was 30-30 or 60-60 times like 6 to 10 on every modality you're about to use in the race. So for high rocks, it was run 60-60 times 6, ski 60-60 times 6, run 60-60 times 6, row 60-60 times 6. That was the final workout. And, and then in DECA, the, the, the order is reverse, uh, row is first, ski is second, yep. and then assault bike. But getting race pacer faster, feeling the cadence, the form you're about to work at, and stopping before it gets bad. Yeah, I like that one a lot. That's still 6, 12, 18. You're still hitting 24 minutes of quality. Would you do that like four days out? Like a Tuesday if you have a Saturday race? Yeah, and the more modalities you're doing, the less you're doing of total reps. Right, right. So if it's four, we might cut it down to like four, four right. to six reps each. And if you're only doing two or three, then we'll jump it more towards 10. But yeah, that's probably a Tuesday workout before a Saturday race. Mm. Yeah. To, to clarify there, High Rocks race pace is not fast. Running race pace for High Rocks is somewhere between half marathon and marathon pace. Yeah. So the 60-60 run reps aren't really work. Right. If you think I'm running 60-60 at half marathon pace, that's not even really work. Yep. And the sure. rowing and the skier. So, yeah, you're getting 24 minutes of work, but it's not intense. Even if you go faster than race pace, it's just not intense. It's more of dialing yourself in for exactly how I'm going to work. What about non-hybrid? What is your prescription? Same thing, just no, just not mixed modality? 30-30 or 60-60? Yeah, yeah, then it'd be long. It'd be 60-60s or some 2-1 intervals. But actually, yeah, a lot of people like doing the 1-2-3 fart lick on Tuesday before a Saturday race. Yeah. Changing the gears a little bit. Do the classic one, 3K, 5K, 10K pace. One minute at 3K, one minute easy, two minutes at 5K, two minutes easy, three minutes at 10K, three minutes easy. Just two rounds of that, call it a day. Shift gears, feel fast, don't hurt. Yeah, mine's... Two one intervals, two minutes on, one minute rest by four. Usually yep. one minute on, one minute rest by four, uh, either flat or uphill. Uh, that's probably actually my most prescribed workout now that I think about it. Race week, I, it's that or it's eight hundreds and four hundreds with uh, a little bit of variance and rest. But yeah, two one. We're on the same page there. I like it. We did it. Look at us. This is gonna be a sub fifty minute episode. I mean, we could fill it with bullshit, but. We do that a lot already anyways. Maybe we should refrain today. It's time to jackhammer. <laughs> I'm not doing the jackhammering, but it is time to jackhammer. You're just going to watch him? You sit there and eat an apple while he jackhammers? No, I'm going to be on my computer working, bracken. Hey, guy, you missed a spot. No, you let the man work. Let the man work. Okay. He's funny. He's uh, I don't know. He can probably overhear me right now, but he's an independent contractor. His name is Ken, and he brings his big radio and he plays country music and this guy sings at the top of his lungs all day i don't think there's a guy out there that really enjoys his job more than ken my guy this guy is loving life every time he's worked on my house he worked on it for a month when we moved in just having the time of his life whistling singing so like this guy i just let him be in his utopia in in my bathroom jack cameron give him a space Country Ken, jackhammering away. <laughs> All right. Well, we should be back to the regular schedule this week. So um, two episodes, right? We'll be back to it. Yeah. See you Friday. See you Friday. Mm-hmm.